So this summer, we've been taking a deeper look at the miracles of Jesus, right? It's been a real faith builder for me. I hope it has been for you, too. So what we can see is that Jesus doesn't just give us what we ask for, but he gives us what we really need, right? So when I think about miracles, I always think of them as God's calling card in a skeptical world. People don't believe. They need, to, they need some proof. So it was true back in the days of Jesus, and it's still true now, that what miracles tell us is that God is real. He sees us. He's with us, and he loves us. The greatest purpose that Jesus had for performing his miracles, besides the fact that he had compassion and great care for people, was that he wanted people to come to believe in himself as God in the flesh. It was like God gave him the authority to do these things to prove who he was. But we also know that even the people who walked with Jesus did not always come to believe, right? Even though they saw it firsthand. And certainly people don't come to always believe in him when they see miracles today. So what I'd like to have a good look at today in this study is that we all have a choice, a choice in how we respond to Jesus' miracles in our own lives and in the lives around us. So I have quite a bit of personal experience with miracles, but you might be surprised at how my experience started. My experience started first in collecting miracle stories. So even as a kid, I was fascinated by things that told me that God was real. And I, and I saved them up like other people can tell you a joke like for hours. I can tell you a miracle story for hours, literally, because I know so very many. And when I was a doctor, I, I got to hear amazing miracle stories from my patients. So I would, go, I would just save those up in my heart. You guys, I had a lady who was born blind who was healed when she was at the age of 10, simply by someone putting his hand on her eyes and speaking, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Amen. I've never forgotten that. It's amazing. So then I had even the greater pleasure of participating in miracles, having prayed for people before very big surgeries, having tumors disappear, ulcers disappear to the point where I think there were a couple of the surgeons on the medical staff who thought I was a little out there. But I'd say, well, how do you explain it? I said, we prayed, this is gone, this was God. And the surgeons would say, I can't explain it. That was the best they would do for me. So my experience continued, and as many of you know, I got, I, I think now, perhaps, the privilege of being very, very sick for 10 and a half years. My husband can't quite agree that it was a privilege, but I was very, very ill for a long time with a weird neuromuscular disease that left me very disabled, where I had to quit my job, I couldn't drive, I had to be in a wheelchair a lot, and August 4th, is my eight-year anniversary of being healed. So a lot of you in this room, a lot of you participated in that miracle with me. And that, that, I said I wasn't going to cry, but I'm choked up knowing that people from my small group that were with me through all of this, Bob and Sue, Dennis and Chris, I mean, so many of you 
walked with me through that time to bring me to the other side. So Wednesday, August 4th, we will celebrate. We always celebrate. It's the most amazing thing that ever happened to me. Now, funny fact, I'm not going to tell that story today, but if you want to hear the whole version, I love to tell it. You can hardly shut me up. I told someone yesterday on the phone, you know, somebody in the store. I just tell it all the time. Um, invite me for coffee. I'd love to go tell you the whole story. Today, I'm going to tell you a brief story about a different miracle in my life. Like, wait, what? I know some of you are like, what? She gets two miracles. And I get, like, none. <laughs> or maybe, maybe, maybe somebody else is like, oh, man, she just sees a miracle everywhere, you know. Well, yeah, I'm looking for them all the time, at, anywhere I can, of course. I celebrate answered prayer regularly, and I think you should, too. Amen. Every good thing given and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. That's from the book of James. So I want you all to take a hot second here, and I want you to raise your hand if you had an answer to prayer this summer. I certainly did. Ho, whoa! And I'm going to tell Angela's because I know she gave me permission. Angela had a hand surgery earlier and had an EMG. EMG, I've had lots of them. One of those fun tests where they poke lots of needles in you and then they run electricity. Doesn't that sound fun? Her ulnar nerve was extremely damaged. They said, listen, Angela, sorry, looks like you're going to need another surgery. You know, tough break, sort of. Lots of pain, lots of numbness, tingling, all kinds of stuff. She's been praying. People have been praying for her. Angela... Completely normal, ulnar nerve. The physical therapist and the doctor said, that just doesn't happen. And Angela said, yes, it does if Jesus is in charge. <laughs> yes, it does. So let us celebrate all those things that are happening that are good. So back to my other miracle story that maybe you haven't heard because testimonies are the best. I was eight months pregnant, and I thought, I thought everything was going fine. I certainly thought I was big as a house. Went to my uh, OB appointment, and the doctor was pretty alarmed pretty quickly. He said, I'm sending you for an urgent ultrasound, and that means within the hour. So I knew, wow, he was not happy. He said, you're not growing enough. Something is wrong. Um, so I went for that ultrasound, which showed that I had oligohydramnios, which was described as severe. So not like, gee, you have just not quite enough amniotic fluid, but you have almost none, okay? Now, we know, as my husband and I are both physicians, we know that this is not a good thing, usually associated with kidneys that don't work in the baby because they're not making urine, and can be, you know, compress the cord because baby's not floating, uh, early death, all kinds of things. So they said, okay, we're going to bring it in three days over to Travis Air Force Base because my husband was in the Air Force, and we were expecting to need a neonatal intensive care, and that was the highest level one in the area. We had three kids at home already, made arrangements for them, and then we did the most important thing. We called everyone we knew to pray. We called back to Chicago, where my mama was. We called back to our old church. We called to our new church. We called friends. We called family. Please, please, please pray. 
This is really serious. And they prayed. Three days later, we went into the hospital at Travis. And um, as it is a teaching hospital, right before they started the induction process, a resident came in and he said, let's just pop the ultrasound on your belly and see what's happening. So he puts the wand on and, and he's, he's like getting this funny look on his face and I'm like, oh Lord, no, what now? Like something is really worse. And he goes, you know, I don't get it. There's tons of fluid here. <laughs> so, well, unbeknownst to us, that same morning, there was a group of older ladies in our church at East Valley Foursquare in Sacramento, California that had gathered for Bible study and they prayed specifically that not only would there be enough fluid, but that it would be abundant. So there would be absolutely no doubt what had happened. Good story, huh? You guys like that one? A month later, Becca was born, healthy, normal, complete, beautiful baby girl, right? But the part I want you to hear is what happened in that hospital after we found this out. So we're sitting there and um, getting ready to go, waiting for the okie doke to leave, and teaching rounds come in. Now you've seen on TV teaching rounds. Well, it looks just like that. Two attendings come, maybe three residents, four or five medical students, and they all troop in. They come, they stand themselves right in front of us, and they think they're gonna get a good scoop because we're, we're like smart and we're doctors and we might tell them some good information. <laughs> so they go, so you grew three centimeters in three days. And I verified that, it was true. Usually at that point, women probably know this, you get one centimeter per week. Three days, three centimeters, fundal height, you know, total, which was a lot. And they said, what did you do? You know, did you just drink a lot? Which wouldn't do it, by the way. Um, and so you, you guys who know me know I'm pretty whimsical, I can just be kind of out there. No, but my husband, Mr. Reliable, even, smart, just very believable person. He looked them straight in the eye and he said, we called everyone we know to pray. Quite obviously, this is a miracle. Just like that. <laughs> Can you see it? These guys like literally, I, I saw them like visibly rolling their eyeballs, you know? And they just kind of like, okay. And off they go, you know, like end of rounds. I don't even know what they said after they left the room. But they were like, yeah, okay. They couldn't or wouldn't respond to something that was outside of their paradigm of how the world worked. Maybe some of them did quietly, but they certainly didn't in a group. St. Augustine once said, miracles are not contrary to nature, but only contrary to what we know about nature, right? Like those surgeons who told me, well, tumor couldn't be gone that fast. I said, well, a can of God did it. Right? God is God over everything. So what about you? What do you think when I tell you that story? Do you add it to your collection of miracles? Do you have a collection, like I do, of good stories to tell people? Maybe you have a lot of stories of your own. Or maybe, maybe you doubt. You think, you know... Yeah, that was just a fluke, you know. They measured wrong or somebody made a mistake. 
And, and I certainly got a lot of that, oh, they screwed up that first ultrasound. <laughs> no, they didn't. I saw it. I was there. <laughs> but it's okay. Lots of people doubt. We want you to know that if you're one of those people who doubts, welcome. Keep asking questions. We've all been there, right? Or maybe you're someone who believes the story, but you don't know what that means for you. You know, miracles happen, but you know, not for me. But some of us, too, have prayed for a miracle for a long time. And I'm looking at some of you now who have. And God hasn't showed up the way you expected him to. Well, I want you to know that God didn't show up the way I expected him to while my husband was carrying me around for years. It was disappointing. And sometimes we think, God, where are you? But August 4th was my day. Maybe August 1st is your day. So maybe you're here and you need a miracle or you need to see a miracle in someone else's life. I want you right now, if you want a miracle in your life or in the life of someone you love, raise your hand. I certainly do. So, so many of us. Who wouldn't want that? Whichever camp you're in, if you're a doubter, a believer, a, one who needs, there's something for you today. So I want us to pray before we go to the word. Oh, dear Lord, we come to you today humbling ourselves before you, thanking you for all the wonderful things you've already done in our midst. I ask you to open our eyes, open our hearts, send your spirit to fill us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I got the miracle assigned to me, the man of the tombs. We were talking about we all got different ones assigned. And it's a hard one, so I'm going to do my best. So we're going to read through the whole thing first from Mark 5, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to make some initial observations, and then we'll make some points out of it. Jesus heals a demon-possessed man, starting with verse 1. So they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. So just know, this is the lake where they just were, story that most people have heard, where Jesus is asleep in the boat when the storm comes. Huge storm, disciples are freaked out. How can you sleep? Jesus calms the wind and the waves, and the disciples are like, whoa, this is the Son of God. We're talking intensity, real intense time, and they're going to another very intense time. So they bring their boat ashore in an area where there are tombs. Let's go to verse 2. When Jesus climbed out of the boat... A man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he just snapped the chains from his wrists and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. So they land, they're right away confronted with this very sad and serious situation. And I want you to notice that Jesus, you know, that here they're landing the boat where there are tombs. In that culture and in their Jewish religion, dead people, tombs, were considered unclean. So they usually you don't go near there. I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, that would be like Jesus getting off at I-5 at Market Street, 
going to the underpass, where there's all kinds of people there living outside who don't have homes, who have all kinds of problems. They have social problems, they have disabilities, they have mental illness, they have addictions. And Jesus goes towards, he goes towards those people, right? Well, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, What is your name? Now, you guys know whenever Jesus asks a question in scripture, it's not like because he needs to know. Right? He's doing it for our benefit. And the man replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. Whoa, heavy piece of scripture, will we agree? But it teaches us several things right off the bat. First and most obviously, demons are real. And demon possession really happens. Now, in other countries, this is just kind of taken as a given. If you go to Haiti, you go, you go to places in Africa, people know the supernatural world exists, right? And it's kind of my opinion, and it, and it is an opinion, that Satan doesn't need to use demonic possession here because we are so much more foolish. So many people think the supernatural world doesn't even exist. Why even bother when I can keep these people busy with politics and football and, and getting stuff and fussing and, you know, all kinds of stuff and such, instead of looking at life and death and the big things of the supernatural? He doesn't even need to bother. So are we really more sophisticated, I ask you? I'm not real sure. You know, slick promises from the devil are enough to keep us going. Imagine if we really saw demon-possessed people. People might pay more attention to the spiritual world, right? So imagine, I want you to get this. There were three gospel accounts of this. And when we put them together, this is what we've got. A freakishly strong, naked man who's covered in scars and dried blood running around shrieking that Jesus is the son of the most high God. Imagine if you saw that on Market Street in Salem, someone just walking around like that. Well, someone would give him a DSM diagnosis and they would say something like paranoid schizophrenia with delusions of religious content, right? That's kind of what would happen. And I, I really do think that a lot of de demonic possession that might happen here, it just gets regrouped as mental illness. And I wanna take a minute, as Pastor Randy did, our Foursquare president earlier in this uh, series, mental illness and demonic possession are not the same. Okay, let's not confuse those. We do not automatically assign those back and forth. Jesus has dominion over the physical, the spiritual, the emotional parts. He can heal all of those things but let me be clear. I don't want to have any misunderstanding here. Jesus has given us medications, doctors, counselors as gifts. They are gifts of healing. Yeah. If you ask for healing from your depression, and I have seen people healed of depression, anxiety, all kinds of things, 
Yes, Jesus can heal you, but wean off your medications appropriately. When I was healed, I had been on a seizure medication. If you, ta if you go off that right away, you can give yourself a seizure. So even though I knew I was healed, I weaned off it slowly, and I've never needed to take it again. So just be wise. See, I'm expecting people to be healed. So be wise about what you do with your medicine. Secondly, I want you to notice this part about the demons in this verse. Is that the demons know exactly who Jesus is, right? He's screaming, son of the most high God, right? These are angels who foolishly and pridefully chose to line themselves up against God. It's not like they think it's a contest. They get it that they lose. They know. So here what we're going to hear is they're going to go to plea bargaining. Let's listen in on plea bargaining. Verse 11. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. That'd make a movie, wouldn't it? I mean, that's pretty dramatic stuff. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. So, did I tell you there was a lot there? Let me say, begin by saying there's enough for three, four, five sermons here. I can't unpack it all, but I am going to bring to you what the Lord brought on my heart to bring to you today. So there's three main categories when we read this account. First, there was the guy who needed the miracle. Second, were the people who observed the miracle. And third, were the people who participated in the miracle. So by the time I'm done, I want to imagine that you will see yourself in one of those categories and maybe all of those categories. So if there ever was a guy who needed a miracle, it was this guy. Think about it. Like the outcast lepers that Jordan told us about a few weeks ago, this guy is completely ostracized from society. And Jennifer pointed out to me, we review our stuff with each other. She said, you know, those lepers, at least they had each other. This guy had no one. We had the miracle of the paralytic whose friends brought him. This guy didn't have any friends to bring him to Jesus. He's cutting himself. He's physically hurt. He was naked. He was without a home. He was living in tombs. This guy needed to be healed in every possible way you can imagine, physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually. This guy was the mess of all messes. And I also want you to notice that not, none of this was too much or too hard for Jesus. 
None of it. It was like that fast, right? Something inside this man, I think of it like the real part of it, somehow flung himself towards Jesus, who did not reject him, but actually went ahead speaking to the demons and taking control over them. This man had, he barely had anything, two brain cells to rub together, but he flung himself towards Jesus with all this mess of a life, bigger mess than anyone here has. And Jesus met him in that need. Second, I want us to look very carefully at the people who observed the miracle. I don't know about you, but I have always been fascinated reading scripture and reading about all these amazing things that Jesus did. And even the people who were right there didn't always believe, right? So it was like, seeing is believing is the saying, but apparently not. You know, how many of you have friends who say, well, if I could see something, then I would believe, right? Don't, don't we all know people who say that? But apparently not, right? Because even these people who were right there, they don't always believe. So my, my example that always really, really messes with my head is we're in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're going to arrest Jesus. Peter's getting all military. You know, we're going for it. He slices off the servant's ear. Do you guys know how much the head bleeds? We're talking bloody, bloody mess. Ear dropped on the ground. This is like a scene from a, you know... A horror movie. It's like, it's very messy. Jesus calmly picks up the ear, puts it back on, heals it, and they carry on. Like nothing happened. Why did they not stop and get on their faces and say, wow, what are we doing? This man is God. Nope. Agenda, agenda. How many of us when confronted with God doing something in our lives, just keep on the agenda. No, I don't want to know that. I don't want to know that. I don't want to hear that because then I have to be different. So these townspeople in the, in the incident of the pigs, they are freaked out. People rushed out to see what happens. The crowd gathered. They see this guy. He's fully clothed. And they were afraid. They tell other people and they beg Jesus to leave. So here they had seen the most incredible miracle. Instead of thinking, wow, this man can do anything. You know, I think they go with that other saying, better the devil you know. Have you ever heard that saying? Better the devil you know. Let's, let's you know, I'll, I'll keep the crazy guy, but oh my gosh, what did he just do? You know, why risk things with Jesus? Things could get like really different with him around. Any chosen fans? I know Michael. Love the chosen. Here's my plug for the chosen if you're not watching it. One of the things they say is get used to different. With Jesus, things are different. C.S. Lewis once remarked that Jesus is not safe, but he is good. He doesn't always do what we expect, but what he does is always the best. Did you hear that? Doesn't always do what we expect. Like, I didn't expect to be sick for 10 and a half years to have to drop out being a doctor. I didn't expect any of that. But he did what was best. Now, Jordan Phelan taught, he's got, boy, this guy has a lot of knowledge of historical context of the Bible. He taught me something very interesting that I didn't see in my commentaries I read, that the Romans actually conscripted Jewish farmers to raise pigs. I mean, we're reading this and everybody's going, they don't eat pigs. Why are they having pigs, right? Because they forced them to, to raise these pigs. And so 90% of what their profits would have been would go to the Romans, and they get this little bit of profit. 
and they were probably afraid that the Romans would retaliate. Jesus probably didn't like that Roman oppression, so the whole thing is more interesting than we think. Jesus had disrupted their status quo. He'd cost them. He'd cost them. It was like, okay, great, he did miracles, but you're making a mess here. I don't want you. Get out. So I found a poem, and I thought, wow, this is, this is really pithy. I'm going to bring this and read it. Since uh, we already had poetry a couple weeks ago, I thought, okay, we're having poetry. Thy powers, meaning Jesus is, thy powers bring loss to us in ours. Our ways are not as thine. Thou lovest men, we swine. Oh, get you hence, omnipotence, and take this fool of thine. His soul, what care we for his soul? What good to us? that thou hast made him whole since we have lost our swine. Ugh, that just gets me. It's like, oh, man, we care about ourselves more than even caring about other people's souls. Healing can cost something. Healing can cost something even for the people who are sick. And I felt like God really wanted me to speak this. I don't know to whom it is. But there are people with chronic illnesses that this becomes their whole life. They have disability services. They have things all arranged. And they're afraid to ask for healing because those things will disappear. I want to encourage you, if you're listening at home, if you're wherever, if you are someone who's disabled and you're afraid, trust Jesus to bring you the resources that you need. So by the grace of God, we had bought disability insurance for me the year before I got sick and I wasn't a sick person so I totally remember when I called the disability lady it was kind of a funny conversation she didn't quite know what to make of me um, yeah I'm calling to uh, stop my uh, disability payments because I'm uh, well now okay I could hear like checking off boxes <laughs> So now, you know, I could have left it like that, but of course it's me, so I had to keep talking. <laughs> um, so uh, you probably don't get too many calls like this. No, we certainly do not. <laughs> um, still talking, right? Uh, well, do you need to know what happened? No, that's not necessary. Like they only need to know they don't need to pay, right? <laughs> but of course, I am still talking. <laughs> Well, I was miraculously healed August 4th because I'm so excited I wanted to tell her. <sighs> Eyeballs rolling, I'm sure. Um, okay, well, this month's payment has already gone out and it will be stopped before the next cycle. <laughs> that was it. Not one question. Like, what happened? Or, you know, tell me that. No, she probably got off the phone and said, Talking to a crazy lady. You probably get some of those. I love being a crazy lady who talks about Jesus. It's my favorite. Okay, third are the people who participated in the miracle. Let's start with the man who was healed himself. You're like, how did he participate in his miracle? He, he was just healed by Jesus. Well, let, again, he just even flung himself towards Jesus however he could in the midst of his demon possession. He got near Jesus. That was the best he could do as soon as he was healed. 
he signed on to be a disciple of Jesus. As Jordan taught us with the lepers two weeks ago, he understood that he was not only given healing, he was given the gift of worth from Jesus. He had a new identity in Christ, and he wanted to serve him and follow him right away. But Jesus actually tells him, no, don't follow me, but he instantly makes him an evangelist. Do you ever think, oh, I can't do that? He didn't have Bible college. He didn't go to a seminar. No. Jesus healed him, and Jesus said, go tell everyone. And what does Scripture tell us? He began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them, and probably some people came to believe. You could do that. You could do that. You could, we could all tell people of the things that Jesus has done for us because he has done things for all of us. And I think back to that crowd, you know, so many of them were freaked out, and Jesus, we want you to leave, but I bet there were some in there that were like, wow, this is awesome, I really want to follow. But, you know, the whole group think was going on there that this was bad. But, you know, somebody gave this guy some clothes, right? So he was naked, now he's sitting fully clothed. And I was thinking, wondering, did somebody invite him for dinner? Like, oh, man, this is so cool. Or did they think, wow, what if he goes crazy again, like starts tearing stuff up? Did someone invite him to have a place to live? Did you think about these things? Being healed doesn't mean that everything in your life just snaps back into place and it's perfect, right? So if someone today were healed of a disability in this room, would we help? Would we offer a job? Would we say, here's some money to tide you over till you figure things out? Would we do those things? We need to be people who participate in the miraculous by helping people with their ongoing transformations. It's not a one and done. If you're watching The Chosen, Mary Magdalene, it's not a one and done. There's hard things. People relapse. All kinds of things happen. We need to be supporting people through that. And that's Stephen ministry is about supporting people through hard times. Furthermore, will we actually become disciples of Jesus who do what Jesus did? We had a seminar on doing what Jesus did uh, earlier in the summer, and it was wonderful. So the disciples are watching all these miracles, right? If we look at the gospel accounts, so after the pig incident, we'll call it, There are a couple more major miracles. There's the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus heals Jairus' daughter. And then pretty much he's like, time to hit the road. They had studied scriptures all their lives, as Jewish kids did. It was important for Jesus, important for all of us. And then they had on-the-job training. And in Luke chapter 9, Jesus calls. And we were in Luke chapter 8, now one chapter later. He calls them together, gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Which demons? All. Which diseases? All. Not, oh, you take the rashes because you're a beginner. (laughs) He didn't say that, did he? He didn't say, oh, I'll give you the lesser stuff. No. He tells them to hit the road, and then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. In Mark chapter 6, again, we were in Mark chapter 5. Here we are right away in Mark chapter 6. It says, so the disciples went out. What do you know? He sent them. They did it, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. 
The whole point of the healings is to repent and turn to God. If you're healed and you just go off and do what you were doing, what's the point? There is no point. You turn your heart to God. This was how Jesus proved that he was from God, how the disciples proved they were from God. In Mark 16, Jesus makes it more general, saying that miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. If you believe, that means you. That means me. That means all who believe. So today we heard about a really messed up guy who was really strong and needing Jesus. Today you heard about another story where God touched my life. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? You have to decide how you will respond. Um, I often say, once you've heard my story, and like I said, I'll tell you my longer version of my couldn't walk, couldn't talk story, which was, is very dramatic. You can't unhear these things. You can't say these things don't happen in these days because I just told you that they do. And there's many, many witnesses in this room who saw my husband carry me around. He hasn't, he hasn't carried me since then. Man! <laughs> you can't unknow this. You have to respond. So, will we bring our needs like the demon-possessed man? Like last week, Pastor Chris talked to us about the Syrophoenician woman. She was like, I I'll just take anything I can get. Just bring your need. You don't have to bring anything fancy. You don't have to know anything special. Secondly, will we participate with those who are seeking to be transformed? And will we pray for others to be healed? A lot of people think, you know what? I'm not qualified to do that. Well, where two or three are gathered in his name, Jesus said he will be there in his midst. In his midst. I've done a lot of speaking, and my husband always reminds me, you're not doing the healing. You're just obeying. Jesus is doing the healing. Take more risks. Just pray out loud. I found this really good quote that I thought summarized how we could think about this. Praying in faith is not an inner conviction that God will act according to our desires if only we believe hard enough. It involves believing that God will always, always respond to our prayers in accord with his nature, his purposes, and his promises. So when, when we prayed over and over for me to be healed for 10 and a half years, for 10 and a half years, the answer was not yet. August 4th, 2013, the answer was a very, very loud yes. Today might be your day. Don't stop asking. So in application then, number one is obviously ask Jesus to meet your needs today. That doesn't have to be just physical. If you have a financial problem, Jesus provided bread. He, he calmed the seas. He commanded demons. There isn't anything you can have that's a need that he cannot fulfill. Number two, tell someone today what Jesus has done for us. Celebrate answered prayers. I saw so many, so many hands go up. We really do pray over all the prayer requests that come, and we celebrate over the praise reports. So go to inewhope.org or to Church Center. Put in a praise report. Let us celebrate with you. 
You, do, you, do, you, do you not feel how much encouragement that brings to know that things are happening, God is working? It brings us all great joy. Number three, participate in the transformations that are going on and say, well, I don't know anybody who's being transformed or in a spot like that. Well, we know lots of people. Food pantry. Here's a lady who said she's come to help in the food pantry. Food pantry desperately needs people this summer. If you can help today, come see someone today. Trish and her family, Trish runs it. She's on vacation. There's a need for people to help today. You will meet all kinds of wonderful people who are in transitions in their lives. Sign up to be a Stephen minister again on the back of this card. We're taking applications and we're starting meetings with people to see if this is for them. We'd love to have you. So um, this morning now we're going to take communion together in a little bit of a different way. Okay? And we're going to put into practice, warning, just what we have just learned. There's no better time than the present. You don't have to go home or wait till later or anything like that. So I'd like you all to stand up, take out your communion elements. If you're at home, get out the communion elements, just a piece of bread, uh, um, whatever you might want. And these are kind of tricky, so peel that top off, and then you'll have the cup. And then this top part opens for the wafer. Mine broke apart. Okay, and we'll, and we'll all take together when you guys are ready. <laughs> They're pretty hard to do. Peeled my bottom off first, and then you can get the top off. It seems to be the easier way. If anybody doesn't have one, raise your hand. We have some in the back that somebody can bring you. Okay. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, thank you for your body that was broken for us. It's broken for our healing. Lord, let us never forget what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Dear Lord, we thank you for your death on the cross that provided a way for us back to the Father. Lord, I ask that there's, if there is anyone here who has not yet made this commitment to you, and connected themselves back to your Father, that they would do so right now with the taking of this cup in Jesus' name. Let's, let's take together and remember. Okay. 
I was raised in the Catholic Church, and there's a very beautiful prayer that comes right before communion, and it goes like this. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter my roof, but only say the word, and I shall be healed. This is a prayer that reminds us of the centurion, the centurion who wasn't a Jew, wasn't a Christian by any sense of the word, but he saw that Jesus had authority, ultimate authority, and he presented his request to Jesus, who answered it and said, what great faith you had. Right now, what I want us to do is get together with two, not more than three people. Probably most of you will be with the people you came with. If you have concerns about COVID, we're very respectful of that. Um, Stephen ministers, any other people who are going to pray, we'll have some people up here. But I want you to know, there's, there's nothing special about our prayers. Everyone's prayers are equal in the sight of God. And I want you all to pray for one another. So first, what you're going to do, everybody in a group, Gail, you want to come pray with people? Anybody else who wants to help pray for people, come up at this time. If you're by yourself and you need to be with someone, New Hope, let's not let anybody stand alone. Even children, children's prayers are valuable. People have been healed of blindness by children praying. We are all equal in the eyes of the Father. Turn to one another, each of you. Bring a prayer request, and then I want you to pray for the person on your right. If you've never prayed for someone before, then just say, you can just say, Jesus, help them. In the name of Jesus, be healed. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't need to be fancy. But let's take some time to do that right now. <laughs> 